0: Hello, folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here with another episode of Sparkles for Better Mental Health, Personal Growth in Five Dimensions. And today I'm extremely excited to have Marcy Moran on the call. Uh, Her business is stroke forward and uh, there's a deeper meaning to that. Welcome, Marcia. Thank you so much. Now, Marcia, all my guests asked them the same question before I even start introducing you, uh, because you are amazing, you survived the stroke. Uh, how did you become the person you are today and why are you so passionate about, of course, brain health? <laughs> so
1: it's a long story. <laughs> Go for it. So in 2014, I had a stroke that was totally unexpected. My health was really good. I was uh, normal weight. I had normal cholesterol. I ran three or four times a week. So when I woke up in the morning one day and I felt odd, I actually started by texting my friend and say, I can't make breakfast. And the weird thing is, I looked at my phone and I couldn't read it. It was all jubbly. And I went, huh, I must be really tired. I had aphasia and didn't know it. And so I decided to put the phone aside. I rolled over and bam, I had the worst headache imaginable. And despite the pain, I fell asleep. When I woke up, I knew I was in real trouble because my right side was totally paralyzed. And I knew I had a decision to make, get up and find help or lay there and possibly die. Well, since I'm here, (laughs) you know that I got up and I crawled myself along the floor and, and about halfway down the hallway, I totally ran out of gas. I thought, well, I can hear the TV going downstairs. So my husband's got to be here. He's got to come up for something to drink sometime. Bam, I don't know what fell. But the noise brought my husband up and he said, Marsha, can you talk to me? And I went, no, that's interesting, I can't talk either. So he called 911, looked around the house to see if he could see what was wrong, didn't find anything. When the paramedics arrived about 10 minutes later, the first one said, when did she have her stroke? And that's the first time Either one of us thought of the word. So how did I get from there to here? Baby steps. (laughs) Every step you take along the way, you feel like you're not making progress, but over time, those baby steps turn into an amazing progress. You just have to keep at it and you have to be patient.
0: Wow, well, Marcia, this is such an amazing story. It truly really is. Now, it is important, too, because it happens a lot that people go recognize too late what's going on. And they think, oh, I'm just tired. So let's just make a little discourse. Sorry. And talk about the pre-monitoring and the early signs of a stroke.
1: Okay. So there's an acronym called BFAST. So B is for balance. If your one side is out of balance with the other, you could be having a stroke. E is for eyes. So if you can't see out of one or both of them, you, you could be having a stroke. F is for face. So if your face is drooping on one side, you're definitely having a stroke. A is for arms. So if you can't lift one all the way up, You might be having a stroke. S is for speech. And uh, it was like mine, I couldn't speak. I was all garbled or couldn't get anything out at all. And T is for time. It's time to call 911 if you have any of those issues.
0: And I think it's very important to have a time frame after it starts because many strokes can be reversed when they are
1: recognized early enough. Right, so TPA is what they give you if they can figure out when you had your stroke. Um, I had mine in my sleep, so they didn't know. At the time of my stroke, they said it was three and a half hours. So, um, and obviously I was way past three and a half hours. Now there's different types of strokes.
0: There's the more common in younger people, which is either blood clot, or a hemorrhagic stroke when an
1: aneurysm bursts. Right. So which one was yours? Mine was a hemorrhagic stroke, and it was eighty-three uh, percent of people have that type. Seventeen um, percent have hemorrhagic. Blood clots.
0: Uh, hemorrhagic ha- is when an aneurysm bursts and the brain fills with
1: blood. Right, and that's... the other
0: kind is 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 a is, a, is a is an occlusion of an artery by a blood clot, and I think that is more common. That's what we meant, right? Yes,
1: that is what I meant. Yeah,
0: I've seen both, and they are both devastating. And the one with the blood clot, that's the one that can be a hundred percent reversed if recognized early enough. Yeah. So that is amazing. So for you, it was too late. What happened in the next time after the stroke and how did your life
1: progress from there? So um, I went to the hospital and on the way I lost consciousness. I woke up and there was a a needle in my arm. I was wearing a lovely hospital gown. (laughs) And my husband was by my side. And I really didn't remember much. So I know that that day, a PT came into my room and said she was going to take me for a walk. And she did take me for the walk. Without her, I couldn't have stood up. Um, My right leg was moving, but not very much. And uh, when we got back to the bed, all I could do is fall asleep. And that's really all I remember from that day. I was in the hospital for five days. And <laughs> I remember when they took me up to the room that I had, the first thing that the nurse did was she took me to the bathroom and left my, my side to make the bed. And that was a mistake. because. <laughs> When you have a stroke patient, you always need to be by them, or else, like me, I might fall off the toilet. And sounds
0: funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. Did you
1: get into it? No, it wasn't funny. But that's when my husband understood that he had to watch out for me. He had to be my advocate because if he wasn't my advocate, then nobody was. Right. Um, The other thing that I found really, really interesting is that. In the hospital, they gave me chicken for lunch. Now, I had dysphagia, which means I couldn't swallow. And they gave me chicken, which means that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't swallow the chicken. So, of course, I choked. And that was another thing that told my husband he really needed to pay attention. He also understood that if he didn't pay attention, I could actually die.
0: So, really, what you experienced was what happens a lot in hospitals that through oversight, uh, people, patients like yourself, are given not just wrong medications, which is quite well known, but also given foods that they shouldn't have, or given not the assistance like you on the toilet that they had needed in the time. And okay. a fully trained nurse should be aware that a stroke patient that has. Paralysis, which you did, could be da- in danger on the toilet.
1: Yeah. So that was the extent of my hospital stay.
0: <laughs> wow, five days. Okay. I- so, what happened after that? You were left home. Could you look after yourself? Did you need support, help with dressing? So Any- what they sent they me eat? to i I'm sorry. Oh, no, sorry. I'm just, uh, it's, it's it's my fault, but I, I, I'm i pretty sure that somebody that didn't have a stroke wonders she couldn't eat normally.
1: What did she eat? How yeah. did she eat? So they actually sent me to a rehab hospital and I was there for two weeks. Sorry. Four weeks? hmm And in the rehab hospital, I had um speech therapists, occupational therapists, and um Physical therapist. And they worked me every day. And by the time I left, I could eat enough. Like I was able to swallow sometime during that two weeks. Um, I was not able to speak much because I had a and aphasia, which means that um, my muscles didn't work right and I had a disconnect between the thought and my mouth. Um, I had physical therapy and I was very bad at it. <laughs> and I had um, occupational therapy and I was also very bad at that. So when I went home, I could go upstairs and live in the upstairs but I really couldn't go downstairs in my house. Um, They gave me um, home health care for six weeks, I had two weeks off, and then I had outpatient care for another eight weeks. And then I was done. They said, uh, that was it. And it was not it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you still weren't the person you had been before. Oh, I'm still not, you know. I wasn't able to recognize that I would never be that person again. I do now, but it took me, it took me almost three years. Certainly big change, big change.
0: Now, what kept you going through that time? Because I'm pretty sure that must have been a very big blow.
1: Yeah, so I always thought of the future. So I didn't think woe is me, I'm stuck here. I thought of, in one year, I'm gonna run the 5K. Did you do that? No. <laughs> okay, but you plan, on. Yeah, awesome. But, but it made me learn to walk again. Yes. Um, actually, I crawled again, then I walked again. Um, and it made me, understand that it you don't get better as fast as you think you should by the second year i almost run the ran the 5k and i say almost because two weeks before i fell down and broke my elbow, uh, dislocated my elbow <laughs> and i decided at that time maybe i shouldn't run <laughs> but you could run again i could run again
0: Wow, that is an achievement.
1: Yeah. Um, And by the third year, I realized that I was a new person, but it took me that three years. So you
0: were a new person,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. in a good sense, in a bad sense and how did it affect you
1: mentally? Okay, so I think I was in denial of um, how I felt. Like I said, I always think about the future and doing that, I probably felt that I was better off than I was. (laughs) I started writing a book on my first anniversary and my book talked about stroke victims. That was my subconscious being the way it was. I now talk about people being stroke survivors. And that is a shift that I had during my writing of my book. Um, I think I found myself really distancing myself from how I felt, especially Mm -hmm. in the first year or two. So the first draft of my book, there was no emotion in it. And it was really, (laughs) I wanted to throw it away. So I put it down for about six months, and then I rewrote it again. And there is some emotion in the second, chap, uh, second uh, draft, but not much. So I put it aside about three to six months. I picked it up and f- wrote it again. And the third time I wrote it, I was more emotional and I was ready to share it because it showed me as I truly was, which is scary, but it took that long. It took me four and a half years to write it. So this is five years years after my stroke. It took, that's how long it took me to probably get through the emotional change Mm. from where I was to where I became. And so I was probably pretty angry but I didn't admit it to myself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I mean, I know
0: that before you were a very successful business consultant, Mm -hmm. so really a go-getter, a highly qualified, and then this threw you flat on your belly or back or head, whatever you want to say. And this is a big thing to get over. And anger is an emotion that I love because (laughs) for one main reason, it gives you the energy to get through whatever you need to go through. Yeah. Uh, And and, and when you use it for that purpose, it is really a very helpful emotion.
1: Yeah.
0: So let me ask you, what is the one thing that you strove to get over?
1: I think I strove to get over my aphasia. So I, couldn't talk much when I was done with my speech therapists. And I remember one of them told me that I wouldn't speak normally again. So I would speak very slowly. And I'm going, I don't like that. (laughs) So people say that if you have aphasia for more than three months, you will probably have it for life. And I think that is wrong.
0: Thank you. I love that. Experts tend to get be wrong. Buddha said that already. Don't believe anybody, not even what I say, unless it agrees with your intuition and your common sense.
1: Yeah. So I had learned about um, neuroplasticity when I was leading people. And I knew that we have it i didn't know how i would get it though right but i figured that there was something out there somewhere that i could tap into and i could work around the aphasia it took a lot of different tries (laughs) so i started by going to um career confidence and I thought they could help me find a job. Well, no, they couldn't because it had to do with talking, right? So I said, okay, fine. I'm going to go to a meetup group and I'll talk every week. Well, that didn't work either. (laughs) Sometimes I could say something, sometimes I couldn't, sometimes I was in between. But at this meetup group, I met a young, uh, an older man who told me about something that he got from his chiropractor. And I went, Oh, that sounds interesting. It's a laser uh, device. And believe me, before my stroke, I would have said, That's not possible. You can put that away. That's foo foo. Well, I went and saw him and this guy with a laser device said, I don't know if I can help you because it's been almost two years, but we can try. And if you're not better within the first three to five sessions, you know that laser isn't the thing for you. And I went, fine. So he put me on the table. And um, when you're doing laser treatment, you had to do the cross crawl, which is you raise your right arm and left leg at the same time and let them down and the left leg and right leg go up. I got better. The first day I was there, I could speak a little better. I'm going, woohoo! something that works. Well, I went home, fell, dislocated my elbow, went into the hospital, and this is really interesting. When I was in the hospital, they gave me morphine. So they they could reset my arm, and when I was on morphine, I could speak perfectly. Wow! Woohoo! I was so excited. Um, my husband said, uh, "No, you're not going on morphine again. <laughs> not constantly. No, that's okay." Yeah. Um, but it kind of proved that it was possible. It, exactly. It proved that it's possible. So I will tell you that uh, laser therapy got me 40% of the way better. What does that mean? It means that when I met you on the street, I could talk to you. I could say my name. I could talk about the weather. But I couldn't talk about the deeper things, like what I did for my job. So I was still aphasic. And at three and a half years, I found a different device called the IASIS microcurrent Feedback machine, and I'm going to show you what it is. OK, it's a little machine. It looks interesting. Tell us about that. Right. So um the doctor who had it said that I should try it. And he gave me the URL for this thing. And I went and looked at it. And I said, huh, it treats all sorts of things. Hmm. So, ADHD, anxiety, depression, stroke, TBI, and a whole lot of other things. I thought, I'm not sure I really believe that. Right. And I read a little further and it said that 85% of traumatic brain injury survivors or TBI um, got better when they used this. And so that caught my attention because TBI is different from stroke, but the symptoms are really similar. Right. And a little further, I read that you could use this device and it will not cause you any harm. I went, okay, you got to let me try it. So um, I called the doctor and said, I'm in. And so he set me up on this device. And I felt nothing. So literally, you sit there with uh, five electrodes on your head. And you do nothing. I'm going, is he kidding me? I could talk better. (laughs) After 16 sessions, I talk like I do today. That is amazing. Are you still using that device? I am. So I use it because I have it now. Um, But before I had it. So I went back for a tune up at six months And then a year after that. So I was on uh, one treatment a year, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, Some people don't ever go back. Some people go to, you know, they go on a schedule where they come back every two months, every three months. It really depends on what you're dealing with. Right. So
0: This is an amazing comeback, of course, and many people dealing with aphasia suffer greatly because one of the most human things is the ability to express your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if that connection is uh, affected by a stroke, you want to rebuild it and anything that helps in that rebuilding process. And as you said, the neuroplasticity is available to us no matter how old we are. And, when i work with people with, with brain injury or strokes rehab that had a devastating impact. And I think the more methods you use, the more holistic methods of all aspects you use, the more likely you are to activate that neuroplasticity. Yeah. And I love how you did that. And uh, uh, now, what do you do now? because I know your life is not end. You're not resting on the sofa watching TV all day, which is, by the way, harmful for your brain.
1: Yeah. So I um, started by writing my book, Stroke Forward, right? Yes, an amazing book. I recommend it to anybody. Yep. And out of that, someone contacted me and said, can you be a part of this book? Say, uh, just say a seat life, which is a composite of 26 strokes survivors. And it shows how different we all are. And I think it's an amazing book. And um, stroke awareness, organ put that out. And then I went, you know, I'm really not getting the book sales that I think I need. <laughs> so I took a coaching class, and I'm certified in coaching now. And then went, you know, I don't think I'm really meant to do this. So I talked to my doctor who gave me um, the IASIS microcurrent feedback. And he talked to the person who invented the machine. And um, we all kind of got together. And they decided that as long as I was working under the doctor, I could learn how to do um, microcurrent neurofeedback. feedback which is amazing, and that is what I'm doing. Um, So you help other people with the
0: brain issues by helping them set up the machine and use
1: it properly and all those things? So the doctor that I uh, used has one of these. I have the second one. There are two of these machines in Virginia. Oh, wow. how much is a machine like that? It's very expensive. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, okay. It's going to be a while before mine is completely paid off. But it's amazing what it does, because it can help people with any type of brain injury, I think. OK, That's so, common- th- this, is, so this, is, this is my opinion. It's going to help everyone. Okay, so 15% of TBI survivors don't get better, but that's a pretty small percentage. Um, From my experience, it does wonders, but everyone is different, right? So. So what would you tell somebody that
0: has a brain injury or had a stroke, which is of course a brain injury, Uh, or any other physical brain issue, like many people that are depressed had a traumatic brain injury in their past that has never healed and contributes definitely to depression. Um, What would you tell them how to access this treatment?
1: So my first thing is to tell them to, they should go out to the website and see, and decide whether or not it is for them if they decide it is for them, there is a place where it's find a provider on the website and they can click on find a provider and find the nearest provider near them. And it's really that simple. Um, We're all treated or we all get the same, um, we all go to California and get trained the guy who invented this yeah and that's very important to him that we're all trained the same so we all use the same protocols wonderful
0: now marcia you have a lot to offer for people that either suffered a stroke or in danger of a stroke suffered a traumatic brain injury what can they do to contact you and maybe Get some help in getting better because you have a lot of experience doing so because you did it. Yeah. I always am a fan of talking to people that walked the walk. Yeah. Somebody that knows how it feels to get better and how hard it can be. And that is often very motivating when you see, and that's why I do the podcast because I like to showcase people that have overcome those challenges and shown. That it is not the end of your life, or not necessarily the end of your life when you have a stroke, for example.
1: Yeah, it's not the end of your life. Um, so they can contact me at marsha at strokeforward.com. That's M-A-R-C-I-A at strokeforward.com. And I would say that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um obviously. My my website is strokeforward.com. Um, if they want to see what the um, IASIS neurofeedback device is, they can go to microcurrentneurofeedback.com. And I'm going to say call somebody, talk to somebody. You aren't alone, really.
0: I think that is an amazing message. Now, let's say in the last part, I always let my guests share in one sentence the most important message that they want to convey in that podcast and and message. What they learned from their experience from getting over that ordeal. What would that be for you? What do you want to tell the whole world?
1: Caregivers are the most important thing in your life. And when I had my stroke, my sense of purpose was really wrong. My caregiver had come last. Now he always comes first. If you're not taking care of the people around you, you're maybe focusing on the wrong things. Wow, that is beautiful.
0: Well, Marcius, thank you so much for being on this show. It was a pleasure to see you again. Thank you. And I hope you manage to heal your brain even further and excel to new heights because you're not at the end of your days. And as I always say, there's many sparkles left. Thank you so much. That's the end of this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the next episode. And uh, if you want to, there will be a little magic video at the end. Enjoy, bye-bye. When you combine modern science, ancient wisdom, nature, experience, and love, magic happens. I'm Dr. Christine Sauer, physician, naturopath, coach, human. It feels like magic to my clients and their lives are transformed through the skills combination of natural and human sciences ancient philosophies and caring human-to-human interaction. Discover this kind of modern wizardry and let's prepare powerful healing potions together. Come and enter our wonderful world of wellness.